0: This is the Divine Peace Church Rockwall Podcast. Every week we'll share a message focusing on teaching solid biblical truth in our community. Service continues with the sermon. Again, the sermon is based on the Old Testament reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. It's verses 1 to 6. If you'd like to follow along here, if you brought your Bible from home, or you can use your pew Bible, Uh, if you're at home again, you can follow along, 1 Kings 17, 1 to 6. We'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. School, starting soon, means it's time to get a lunchbox. This is not my lunchbox, somebody else's lunchbox. Uh, she was gracious and allowed me to borrow it Today. Providing yourself with a lunchbox, if you are a child, is not easy. If you were to give the responsibility over to a child to provide the lunchbox and the contents, it's too much. You have money, you got to get a job, or you're you're not going to use your allowance money, right, to buy a lunchbox? It's no fun. And then the contents, you still need a job to get all the money, right? to provide the contents of this. And if you want to go to the store to get some, you're going to need a ride. And If you want to order it online like mom and dad do, probably, you're going to need a device, you're going to need a credit card, which again, is too much. Even a simple thing like the lunchbox and the lunch that's inside is far too much for a child to provide for themselves. But if you're an adult like me and you think that it's too much for the kids, well, sometimes we struggle uh-huh. with our own eating of food as adults. Now you can just jump on your phone and you can order a box of food delivered right to your doorstep. Some of those boxes of food are actually even specifically portioned and they come with directions so you just open the box, cut everything up, cook it and you have an Instagram photo worthy meal for you and anybody else in your home. It's that easy. But if that is too much. There are apps that also provide you with a meal that most of the time arrives warm at your doorstep, and you can just eat it, and it's just there. It's amazing. Now, thinking through all those things, it seems pretty obvious that all of us want, not necessarily need, but all of us want, somebody to provide us with an endless supply of food in our lives. Something like a loaf of bread that would never run out, or a bottomless can of tuna. We want that. We want somebody to provide us with food. It makes our life easier. But it's not what we truly need. In our Gospel reading from Matthew 14, Jesus was able to provide a crowd of thousands, thousands of people scattered over a hillside with all they could eat. All the bread, all the fish that they could eat, and they even had 12 baskets full of leftovers. But that really wasn't what the crowd needed from Jesus. That day after the healings and when Jesus had compassion on the crowds, it was getting late, and his disciples told him, Jesus, you should probably send the people away. Sermon's getting a little bit too long, and they're going to need to go get something to eat. But Jesus said they don't need to go away. You, disciples, give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In other words, that's not going to do it when you've got thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus said, well, bring them here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate. They were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus showed the disciples and the crowd that God, that he was able to provide all that they needed all the food they could ever want to eat that day. But Jesus came to give them more than food for their bodies. And we read about the misinterpretation what the crowd thought they wanted Jesus to give them. In John chapter 6, in John 6 we read, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now this was true. Jesus was the prophet that they were alluding to that was to come into the world, but they didn't understand who he was and what he was going to provide them with. Then we read Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The crowds looked to Jesus, and that was right. But in their minds, they had created a caricature of what the Savior was supposed to be. The crowds had in mind all of the earthly and material, all of the sinful things that they wanted in a Savior, and they were projecting that onto Jesus. Rather than take him at his word to provide them what they actually needed. When God spoke through the prophet Elijah, for the first time his words were not about what God was going to provide. In our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings 17, we hear the first words, the first recorded words of the prophet Elijah. And they are not words of provision. Instead, he is speaking to the king of Israel. This is at the time when the southern kingdom of Judah and northern kingdom of Israel were split. He's talking to the northern king, Ahab. And he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, Whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah's first recorded words are words of judgment. No precipitation for the next three and a half years until I say so. Really with God's backing, obviously. This kind of news threatened panic in the kingdom. Resources would have to be divided. There would have to be rations. There was the threat of starvation. There was inflation. Israel, And this would, again, this was going to last years. Israel may lose wherever its standing was on the world stage. Of course, those are things we never worry about or think about or I never hear any of us talk about regarding our country, inflation, world standing, things like that. So we can't really relate. Elijah's first recorded words as a prophet of God to God's own people Israel, the people that God himself had established, that he had promised to the patriarch Abraham, I will make you into a great, a multitude of people. The people that he grew even while they were in slavery in Egypt. And then he powerfully rescued them through the plagues. The people that God himself fought for to drive out the nations in the land of Canaan, a land flowing in milk and honey a land that at this time, Israel had now inhabited for hundreds of years and enjoyed all that prosperity. God now tells them, I am not going to provide. It was because of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king. He married Jezebel from Sidon, that was a place. North Israel, heathen pagan country. Jezebel was a terrible queen. She brought with her one of the foreign gods, one of the idols from her land named Baal. The worship of Baal was violent and vulgar, things that you can't even watch on TV. And Ahab drove the people of Israel to worship that god. And then Ahab himself also introduced the Asherah pole. So Asherah was a goddess of fertility, and her worship was just as detestable and vulgar And this affected the entire nation. And we read, this is in the chapter just before, so 1 Kings 16, this description of Ahab. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So he was the worst. He was the worst king, the worst kind of ruler. Spiritually just destroyed Israel. And so God was going to withhold his provision of rain. This was judgment. But he promised blessings to Elijah. God providing something unique to Elijah during this drought. We continue reading in 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah took God at his word. I will provide for you. And God miraculously provided for him throughout the drought. Normally, God provides for all of us through natural means, through his creation, all the wonderful different systems that he put in order. But he can also provide for us supernaturally or miraculously. In the case of Elijah, he had a raven who by nature is very selfish, smart, but very selfish, very resourceful, unwilling to share food. And God changed the nature of the ravens so that they would bring Elijah food, that they would share food with him. It was a miracle. And this drought was also a supernatural event by God. And Elijah was very clear about that. Elijah was, in talking with... Wicked King Ahab, he was saying, I'm going to pit the Lord, the God of Israel, against your idols, against your false gods, Baal, Asher, these fertility gods that are supposed to be able to give you rain and crops and all these things. I'm going to pit these two against one another. And at the end of the competition, there was a clear winner it was God. There's an undeniable truth after the exact amount of time that Elijah said after rain only came after Elijah said so. There's this clear undeniable truth that the Lord, the God of Israel, is the only God. And all those false gods that Ahab followed and the people of Israel following were nothing. Now today you could almost refer to this as an apologetic kind of event. Apologetics proposes a bunch of facts and things like that. It really just works in the realm of the law its goal cool, is to present all of these facts to show that God exists, which can drive people to humility, and repentance, and to recognize they cannot save themselves and they need God to save them. That was the purpose of this drought: it was judgment. That Ahab would humble himself and repent. You wonder. it's not always miraculous it's not always instant, it's not always what you want you wonder so often if God is able or wants to provide you with what you need and again there are those times where it's the superficial things in your life and you wonder why isn't God providing me with this thing that I don't need but want there are times when somebody needs to come at you and be very blunt and honest and say God is not up there to bankroll your DoorDash orders he's not, (laughs) it's not why he's there now, he could, but he's not. There are times when your sinful nature inside of you creates all these selfish desires, and Satan is whispering all of these lies. This is what you need God to give to you, and he's not. So he must not love you. He must not care for you. He must not even exist. There are times when you act like a raven. Now, again, side note, raven is part of the crow family. and crows are considered the smartest of the birds. There are times when you act like a raven and you feel like you're able to fly above your life and you know everything that's going on. and You know everything that God should be giving to you, but you can't. You don't have a bird's eye view of your life. It's hard enough for you to understand what's going on right now in the present. You definitely can't see the future and oftentimes you don't even realize all the things that happened in your past. Because of sin, you are not able to understand what you truly need. Sin makes you weak. Your sinful nature, the world, and the devil whispers to you and you create, you manifest all of these ideas of what your life should look like and what the people in your life should be giving to you. And then it doesn't match up. Your actual life doesn't match up with what you have in your mind and so you question whether God really provides for you. Or it happens when you suffer and there's a drought in your life that lasts for years And it's a drought of suffering, it is a drought of loss, it is a drought of health, you don't have the relationships that you want, you don't have the joy that you want, and it lasts. You don't see any clouds of hope, and you wonder whether God really provides for you. And in those times, we look because we're hurting and we look to so many different places and we look to so many different people, but they don't actually solve our problems. They're like lunch. You can have a great lunch. You have a super well balanced lunch, you have protein, whatever, all the other stuff you're supposed to have, cookies, all that good stuff, right? The essential things for lunch. And that lunch can satisfy you, but you're still gonna be hungry for dinner. Or you can have a super good lunch and you may not even be hungry until the next day, but you're still gonna be hungry again. That's what happens when you put all of your hope in the things of this world or the relationships and the people in your life to provide you with what you truly need. They will always leave you hungry. What you really need is someone who can provide something for your soul. And this is God. His words feed your soul. Elijah took God at his word. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Valley, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah did what the Lord told him. God spoke, Elijah listened, God provided for him. And God does the same for you. Now during the time of Elijah, the old covenant was still in place. This covenant, it's an agreement that God had made with Israel. He said, here's the stuff I want you guys to do. If you do that, I'll be your God. I'll fight for you, provide for you, give you everything that you could ever want or need. And God did. But often, and especially at the time of Ahab, Israel stopped following God. So finally God said, fine. And there was judgment. Well, it's the old covenant. There's another covenant. The new covenant. We hear about this new covenant in Hebrews chapter 9. For this reason, Christ... The mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. His point here is the old covenant could not save, it simply showed your sin, but the new covenant offers forgiveness. It offers Jesus as a ransom. It offers what you truly need. What you need most is to be saved from your sins, and the only one who can give that to you is Jesus, and He gives it to you. He is the ransom for your life. As we read in our New Testament reading from Ephesians 1, in Him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. You are free. You are free from your sins through Jesus and free from the eternal consequences. Instead of an eternity in hell, you get to look forward to an eternal inheritance, eternal life in heaven with your God, where He will provide you with all that you need. Through Jesus, you have this eternal inheritance. And now, as you wait for that, one way that He brings you His salvation, His forgiveness, this new covenant is the Lord's Supper. In Luke chapter 22, we read that the new covenant is given to us in the Lord's Supper. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so when you are in need, when you are worn out because your sins weigh you down, and because the sins of others have crushed you, God says here, Take and eat. It's my body. This is the new covenant. Here's forgiveness. Here's life. Here's salvation. Here's comfort. Here's peace. Here's connection to me, to your God. God gives you all of this through his word and sacraments. He changes your hearts. He changes your perspective. And so you see, God has given you all that you truly need. And God knows what you need. He created you. He knows at this top level what all of us need together. We all need forgiveness. We all need salvation. We all need eternal life. But He also knows your individual needs. He knows the individual battles that all of you face, all of the struggles, the questions about, is this really what I need? Can God provide? He knows all those things. And so He has given you so much as a response to those things. He's given you His Word. He has given you baptism. You're washed clean. You have a new name. I know you all have a last name, you have a first name, all that fun stuff. But God has put on you His name. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has been put on you in baptism. You've been washed clean of all your sins. You've been reborn this new person. He gives you His own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. He sends the Holy Spirit, God Himself, to dwell inside of you. The Counselor to fill you with wisdom who gives you the gift of faith. He sends His angels and from what we can see, likely not just one guardian angel, but multitudes of angels. These spirit creatures that fiercely protect you. And He has given you your brothers and sisters and a pastor that shares the law and the gospel with you. The law when you need to hear it and be brought to repentance and directed away from trusting in yourself. And then the sweet gospel to say God has provided you with all these good things. And on top of all that, God, through His amazing creation, has put all of these systems in place that give you air and food and water and shelter to give you life. And He has provided you with family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and society to help with your mental and emotional health. But even in those moments where those things are lacking, or when they feel they are lacking, these are the moments to go back to Scripture. To read Ephesians 1 to be reminded of all that God has given to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God adopted you, each of you, as his own child. And with that comes this outpouring of blessings. God has not left you to struggle to provide all of these things that you truly need, like a child would struggle to purchase a lunchbox and understand the proper, well-balanced foods to put into it. He's not left you alone to struggle. But he has adopted you so that he can provide for you as the best possible father. A father that knows exactly what you need and gives it to you at the exact right moment. Before the creation of the world, he knew you. He knew your name. He chose you to be one of his own. Through his grace, he has lavished upon you this wonderful eternal inheritance, and he is with you now. And God's blessings remain true for you even when it feels like they are not there. His faithfulness cannot be undone. And keep this in mind, too. During this three-year drought, Ahab got to remain king. Got to continue to live in the palace. Elijah was sent to live in a ravine and was fed by ravens. Now, this is to take nothing away from God's miracle in feeding him. But for us, as superficial people, perhaps you look at that and you're like, that doesn't seem fair. There's lots of times in your life where it doesn't seem fair, but God is with you, like he was with Elijah. Now, let's fast forward to the end of their lives. Ahab continued to be wicked, continued not to trust God. But God had revealed that Ahab would die in a battle. Ahab, thinking he was the smartest thing in the world, disguised himself during the battle, thinking, well, if they don't know it's me, I'll survive. Well, a random arrow hits him, And he ends up sitting on his chariot, slowly dying to watch this battle. And when he dies, the forces of Israel are scattered. That's how Ahab dies, in disgrace, nothing. And he doesn't have God. And then you have Elijah. Elijah doesn't actually die. Elijah has never died. Consider that. Instead, Elijah, with his young protodate, Elisha, not to be confused, J and an S, they're walking along, and God allows a chariot of fire being pulled by horses of fire to appear. And Elisha gets inside, and he is taken to heaven in a whirlwind. That's how his life ends. He's taken alive into heaven by God. God never abandoned him, but was there for him his whole life. And again, Elijah gets to appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Actually, a lot of people confuse Jesus with Elijah. They thought Elijah had come back. In the end, your Savior has forgiven all your sins. He is with you now. He has given you His Word. He has lavished you with His grace. He has provided you with an eternal inheritance. God provides for you even when it is a struggle for you to take God at His Word to provide what you need. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Divine Peace Church Rockwall Podcast. For video sermon archives, more information, and to let us know how we can pray for or serve you, go to DivinePeace.com.